three one-pointers in three weeks. It's too much. It's too much for the heart of the African, South African soul, I tell you. It's like a, but we did do it. And a point is a win. There we go. A win is a win, and we'll take it. And so, um, yeah, very grateful for that. And uh, at least last night, we completely, I feel like we deserved that win. We completely, we, we got that. Last weekend was the grace of God. <laughs> last weekend was Jesus trying to teach us what undeserved, unmerited favor looks like. <laughs> Straight. Simple. Don't deserve it. Didn't deserve it. But still, you win. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. And when you put your faith in Jesus, that's what happens. And so uh, I think God was just trying to teach us there last weekend. But this weekend, he gave us some strength and uh, very, very fantastic. And I'm so glad that uh, the boys managed to pull it through. Anyway, it is cold. It's rainy. What's going on here? I mean, this is Durban. It's meant to be hot and sunny, cold and rainy. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Anyway, guys, we are going to continue this morning in our series on Thessalonians. And I'm at this, at this, we're at this stage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And this talk would have been a very, very different talk this morning, as you'll see, if we had lost last night. I'm just going to do two verses, 13 to 15. And then next week, I'm going to get stuck into the next couple of verses. Get stuck into a little bit of eschatology and... And uh, my favorite, um, getting caught up and all these things that all pop theology teaches us. But anyway, let's have a look. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. I like the way the, the, the new um, NIV speaks. Others' translation just say those who sleep. And it's talking about death. It's talking about those who sleep in death. Those days, sleep was a term that you would use for somebody falling asleep, uh, death. For non-believers, it would be eternal sleep. For believers, it was used for sleep and rest. In fact, the word used there for sleep is the word that we get our word, it's a Greek word that we get our word cemetery from. Um, it means dormitory or place where you sleep. And so... This is what this word sleep means. It does not mean soul sleep. There's some, some, many of you, if you don't understand what that means, don't worry about it. But it, it's, it's, it's soul sleep. There's a theology that says that when you die, your soul goes into sleep until the resurrection of Jesus and suddenly you come awake and then, you, um, then you, you're with Jesus. It's not talking about that because actually the Bible doesn't talk about that. It talks about, um, um, I'd rather be with Jesus now than than. Paul, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. So we don't, there's no soul sleep. When you die, you go and you're with Jesus. It's in an intermediate space before the new heavens and new earth, but you're with Jesus. You don't go to sleep. You're aware, you're conscious. And he's not talking about that kind of sleep, but he's talking about when you die. Okay. So, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe, and this is so key, we believe, we believe, we have faith. That word, pistia, it comes pistos, is the word faith. 
We believe, we trust in God. We believe this thing, that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. See, it says there, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The context of that verse is this, is that all those who have died, because Jesus has been resurrected, when Jesus returns, he will resurrect those, who, because he's resurrected, we all will be resurrected. So when it says they'll come with him, he will resurrect everybody in that moment. He's not talking about all those that are in heaven with him. He's talking about all those that are dead. That are, that are dead. He's going to resurrect them from the grave. He's talking about all those. That's what he's talking about here. So he's saying, actually, um, because I've been made alive, I'm going to make everybody alive, and I'm going to bring them with me. This is the hope that these guys have. And the question that they have in the church here is this. If we die, are we going to miss the second coming of Jesus. If we die, are we going to miss this triumphant, jubilant homecoming, this moment of honor when Jesus returns? And Paul has been talking about the return of Jesus and their hope is firmly fixed in the return of Jesus and this eternal, wonderful hope in the return of Jesus. And we've seen that right through the book of Thessalonians to this point. And so now we, the question is, are we going to miss it? And Paul says to them very pastorally, he says, listen, we don't grieve like the rest of the world does with no hope. Because when Jesus returns, all those that have fallen asleep in him will be coming with him. And you see what it says there? It says, we certainly will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who are alive will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those who are alive will, will, will not precede those fallen asleep because those fallen asleep will be with Jesus already, coming, returning with him when he returns. And so he's trying to pastorally assure them that they're gonna miss nothing. When you die, you don't need to grieve with no hope like the rest of the world does. You grieve with hope. You grieve because you believe in Jesus. You grieve with hope because you believe Jesus died and he rose again. And he will return and you will return with him. And so this morning, I want to, before getting into the, the kind of eschatological theology of this, I just want to talk about grieving. I want to talk about why we grieve with hope. The very practical pastoral reality of this text. Why do we grieve with hope? You see, we can grieve with hope because Jesus died and rose again. And we'll return with our loved ones. We will see our loved ones again. We're grieved with hope. You see, in the garden, we were separated. Death was a separation from God. Death was a separation from relationship and brokenness and broken. All sorts of separations happened in the garden. In Christ, all those separations are pulled back together again. We re reconciled with God. We put back together with each other and we told to work that thing out in marriage and in relationships and in friendships, in the, in the life of a church. 
It's a beautiful thing with separations. And what happens is we have hope because when Jesus returns, all the separations will be gone. Our, our, our perfect relationship with God will be in reality, Him in person. And all those that we've lost, that we've loved, we will see again. Those that are in Christ will return with Him and we will not be separated from them. We have this wonderful hope in Christ we don't grieve like the rest of the world does. We grieve with hope. He is coming back with our friends and family that are in him. But that doesn't negate us from grieving. We do grieve, we just grieve with hope. And this is the tricky part. You see, being a Christian doesn't negate you from, grie from grieving, from the grieving process. And this is very important for us because I think as Christians, we should have the best kind of theology and practice around grieving and, and dealing with death ever. But often we don't. And we don't, and we don't know what to do with grieving people. And we don't know how to grieve properly ourselves. And we, we kind of face this thing and we, we're a little bit tentative. And, we, and so this morning I just want to put some practical things in place about how we grieve, what happens when we grieve, and how do we react and respond to people who are grieving. And the reason why all of us need to know this, because this is one of the ways that we can reach out to those around us. Because remember, you have hope. So when you're in a situation that has no hope, you can bring hope. When you, ha uh, you have Jesus, when you're in a situation that has no Jesus, you can bring Jesus. And so the way you deal with death and the way you deal with these sorts of things and grief, in moments of grief, can bring the reality of the kingdom of God into those moments so profoundly. And so this is very important how we deal with it, not only so we can help each other walk through these moments, but so that we can reach the world with the hope of Christ. Because when people say, why do you have this hope? You can say, because of Jesus. Because he died and he rose again and he's returning. This is the wonderful hope that we have. As Christians, we need to have faith to die with faith and in peace. We live by faith and we die with faith. It's not morbid, it's a joy. Death is not a destination, it's a transition into the next. We, we take our last breath on earth and we take our first breath in his presence. It is moving from this life into the next. And actually, our faith needs to have space where actually that moment is a moment. Paul says, I would rather be there than be with you, but for your sake, I need to stay. Friends, death has lost its sting because of Jesus. We are not to be afraid of death. We are to face death with faith. It does not mean that the process of death will not be painful. 
It doesn't mean that going towards death, depending on how we die, it doesn't mean that there won't be pain. It doesn't mean saying goodbye. If you get to say goodbye, that's going to be painful. It doesn't mean all of those, it's going to be very difficult. But ultimately, friend, on that, friends, on that moment, in that moment of transition, we can have faith to meet our Father, to meet Jesus face to face in a wonderful peace. We should always be ready to meet Jesus. We should live ready to meet Jesus. Either he will return and meet us or we leave this, this earth and go and meet him. But we should be ready to meet Jesus. It means our, our relationships are reconciled. We're living ready to meet him. Our lives are reconciled into his kingdom. We get ready to meet him no matter what the context is, whether it's his return or our going to meet him. How do we grieve with hope? How do we grieve with hope? Well, the first thing that we need to know is this. Death was never in God's original plan. Death was never in God's original plan. Death is an enemy. Death is part of the separations that entered because of sin. Separated from life, separated from eternal life, separated from the life of separated. That's what happened in the garden, as I said earlier. Death is a reminder that the world we live in needs restoring and needs a redeemer. Death was not, we don't rejoice, we don't rejoice like death is, it's, it's not part of God's plan. But we've overcome death. Jesus has overcome it. Jesus, it's lost its sting because of the faith that we have in Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have hope in death, that we will be with Jesus, that we will be with each other again, that we'll get to enjoy resurrected bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. Something that those without Christ have no such hope, friends. That should drive us into sharing and witnessing this great Jesus we have. We have hope in death. Because death is not an end, but rather a transition. For those in Christ, our sadness is for us, not for those that have passed away. For those that have passed away, they are in the presence of Jesus. For those that are left behind, we've got to go through a process of enduring loss for a time and it's sad and it's difficult and there's all sorts of fears and there's all sorts of things that come into play as you walk through the grieving process but it's a, it's a sadness of seeing someone off that's going on a long trip it's that kind of sadness knowing that you'll see them again but you're just not sure when it's just but you will see them again it's that kind of sadness that faith and this hope that I'm talking about brings into our lives. On this side of eternity, friends, we get to grieve. So I've said all of that. There's hope. There's all these things. But on this side of the eternity, we get to grieve. Life with Christ does not exclude us from the grieving process that we have to deal with. Grief is not weakness that needs to be removed or fixed. 
Neither is grief an enemy that needs to be overcome. Grief is part of being human. Jesus wept. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus knows how to grieve. If you are human and you love, you will grieve. It's part of our human existence. We grieve every time we lose anybody significant or anything significant. In fact, the more you suppress grief, the harder it becomes. Grief is something that needs, is a pain that you need to talk about and, and work through with close friends and loved ones. It's a journey that we all need to learn to go on and learn to take people on and learn to help people on. That's why this is so important to talk about. So things to know about the grieving process. Number one, grief is natural. Everyone old enough to love is old enough to grieve. Every human being will go through grief. It's a very difficult thing to go through, but we grieve with hope. The second thing is this, is that grief takes time. Grief takes time. The amount of time differs for each individual and is, and is often dependent on the relationship that the person has with that person. If it's, a, if it's a child to a parent or a parent to a child or a husband to a wife or a spouse, it, it, it varies, friends, but it takes time. And you can't rush the grieving process, and it's unique to every single person. As you sit and you, and you deal with people that are grieving, you just realize it's so varied, the responses in grief. It's not a linear process. It's more like the circular kind of process in, in, of journey into a foreign land where you're kind of not sure where you're going and you've just got to take every step, one step at a time. We can't expect the process to be easy but we also can't expect the process to be impossible. You can't live in either of those extremes. The process of grief is not easy, but it's not impossible. It's unique to you. It'll take a unique amount of time, and there's a whole bunch of unique emotions and responses that you will walk through and you cannot compare yourself to everybody else. You've got your own unique journey because you've got a unique relationship to the person that you've lost and you've got your own unique brokenness as well that you're dealing with. So you've got this unique process of learning to, to deal with this loss. There is a grief process I'm going to put up a slide, if you wouldn't mind. There we go. There's a healthy grief process, and there's an unhealthy grief process. I love this journey. There's many different journeys of, that you can read about and whatever. I love this one because it kind of, as I've journeyed with many people and been on this journey myself, you realize this is so true. The first part, and you'll realize 
the difference between the healthy and the unhealthy gets into the bottom part there. But we'll get there now. But everybody, when there's grief, when you've lost somebody, enters into, into numbness and shock. Everybody. Everybody goes into that. It's God's gracious way of helping you cope with the initial loss. You kind of get numb and you kind of just think, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do through this? Your mind's not fully processing exactly what's happened. And then you'll see somebody and you'll say, oh, well, they're doing so strong. They really are so strong. This is a week after the event or whatever. Friends, they're on autopilot. They're coping. They're, they're numb. They're, shocked. they're in shock. You're just trying to get through. And sadly in society, just when we're over the numbness and shock, we get back into work and it get, becomes business as usual when, pe when people need it the most. Just as you're getting over numbness and shock, two, three weeks later, boom, it hits you. That's when we need to be more around people and that's kind of when you're back at work because all your compassion leaves finished and all that sort of thing. But numbness and shock, is a, is a, is everybody goes through that. The second thing is this, is emptiness and solitude. Emptiness is something that you feel when you've lost somebody, friends. It's like you've got a hole in your soul. You think nothing ever will fix that. You think, actually, I'll, I'll never be the same, and you're right, you'll never be the same. But you're absolutely empty. You think, how will this void ever be healed? Friends, I know this thing, is that he is the God. The Bible says he's not the God, he says he's the Father of all comfort. And I know this is when you empty, that when you spend time with the Father of all comfort, his fathering hand, his compassionate hand, begins to fill you again. So when you empty, you need to spend time by yourself with him. Absolutely key in the process. But there's a difference between being in solitude with God and being isolated. Because when you empty, either you can run to God and be in solitude with him, or you can isolate yourself and get into a desperate place. And so the, one, the, the, the tendency is to run away and just hide because this emptiness, you don't know what to do with it. Friends, you need to find your people. When you are grieving, you need to find your people. And when people are grieving, they need, you, maybe you need to be their people. They just need one or two people to come alongside them, to be with them, to help them in that moment of emptiness, especially if they don't know Jesus because they don't know what to do. They don't know a father of all comfort. In isolation, you push people away, you sever relationships, you refuse comfort, you cut off all the positive influences that could help you because of this emptiness and this brokenness inside of you. And the one way, you move towards a healthy grieving process, and another way, you're on a journey to unhealthy processes. The second thing that happens, the third thing that happens there is that you, you, end up, you can end up in some anxiety and guilt. Anxiety, 
wife, a parent, a child, whatever. What am I gonna do? How am I gonna cope? My husband's just died. How am I gonna cope? Wife's just died. How am I gonna cope? I've got children, all those sorts of things. A child, what am I gonna do? If a parent dies, am I, they get scared that the other parent might die. All sorts of things happen, goes through your mind. You begin to get anxious. You, you, you go through moments of guilt. I could have done more. I should have done more. I could have been there. I could have done this. I should have done that. Could have, should have, all those sorts of processes. Start second-guessing decisions that you made in the process. But it's in that moment again, friends, that your people come in again. And your presence of God comes in again and holds you and keeps you. Because those are natural responses that you will go through. But when you've got friends and people around you that are helping you, walking with you, speaking to you, encouraging you in the right moment, in the right tone, in the right atmosphere, friends, it keeps you on the road towards healthy grieving. And if you haven't got that, you loop out into fear. And when you're isolated and you put fear in the mix, you're in a desperate place. Because when you're fearful, you isolate yourself even more. Very desperate place. Not a good place to fear. Fear is, is a toxic additive to anxiety and guilt. Perfect love drives out fear. So people that are in that place need perfect love. They don't need clever ideas. They don't need clever theology. They don't need you to come up and, with a plan of actually what God's trying to do through this. They just need you to love them. They just need you to be there. They just need you to be there. So that perfect love will begin to drive out fear. The next thing is anger and irritability. They get angry. And with anger comes irritability. The emotions are all over the place. You get irritable and you get angry towards doctors, towards friends, towards God, to, to even to the person that died. And then you feel guilty because you're angry towards the people that the person that died. And how can they leave me? And all those sorts of things. And often that hap what happens is you kind of, you, you say things to people and to people that are close to you that can disrupt and rupture relationships. Once again, you need to be with God and need to be with your people. Because your, God will be your rudder and your people will help to steer you towards God and towards a healthy way of thinking these things through. People, friends, I, I, when we're grieving and when people are grieving, they just need a calm person of God, people of God around them to help them in their process, to help them think clearly and to love on them. Anger can express itself in irritability. We take offense easily. In that moment, we're just taking offense and this person, and how could they say that? You need somebody to say, you know what, just in this moment, it's difficult, you're processing. Let's just, let's just Wait. Let's just not jump to conclusions. Just somebody to love on you. The problem is, friends, when you've got isolation and you've got fear, eventually what happens is that irritability turns into an, into an animosity which becomes hostile resentment. Now you're on a slippery slope 
that is very difficult to come back from. And nobody wants to be around you. But people are too scared to be there. The next thing is sadness and loss, deep, deep sense of sadness and loss. When you're a healthy thing, you're sad, friends. There's sadness in you. It's, it's good to be sad. It's, it's, it's appropriate, not good. It's appropriate to be sad. Deep in your heart, deep sadness in your heart, cycles of sadness. Even when you're doing well and you think you find in the background, there's this deep sadness. It's part of the process. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not quick, but eventually it will resolve itself. Eventually you will come to terms with it. As the Father of all comfort pours out His love on you and your friends help you through the process. But for somebody that's isolated themselves, that's got gripped by fear, that's now has an animosity, a, a hostile resentment, what happens is that resentment turns to bitterness. And their heart hardens. And they become trapped in despair. We don't want to end up there, friends. We'd rather be in that other, on the other side where our sadness and loss eventually finds its resolution in acceptance that my life will never, ever be the same again. But God is sufficient. His love is sufficient. God's put me in a family. God's put me with friends. And I accept the, the reality that this will never, ever be the same again. And the difference between those two things, friends, is hope in Jesus. The big difference between those two avenues is hope in Jesus. It's good for us to know something of these journeys because we will go through them. When we lose parents, when we lose siblings, when we lose good friends, when we lose children, But it's also good friends because we're going to have friends that are going to be there and we need to be there for them. Do you, friends, we are priests of God. We are ministers of God. We should be able to minister to the world. We're not there to, not to be scared of death. We're not there to be scared of these moments. We're there to step into these places of pain with prayer and presence and life and hope. It's so good. We grieve with hope. We grieve with hope. I've already said that grief is very individual. Same timing, the way you can't compare yourself. I've really, if I, I don't know if I've said, grief makes us very emotionally vulnerable. Even this process helps you see that. We become easily offended. And Friends, we've got to learn in the moment of grief to honestly express our, 
emotions to our friends, to, that, to our people, to those two or three people that we are walking with. And those people, if you are those people, you've got to let the people, let people express their honest emotions. Not suppress them. If you make them suppress them, you end up going down the other way. You've got a chance of them going down the other side of unhealthy grief. You've got to expect cycles of pain to come and go. Understand this, when we're grieving, grief will deceive us in many ways. Very practically, grief will tell you that it's better to be isolated. When in fact we need friendship and companionship. And people respond in all sorts of ways. You come to the moment where the person that passed away, we've got, we've got to deal with their clothes and with their cupboard or with their room or whatever it is. And then you end up, what you've got to do is avoid, avoid, avoid extremes in all situations and when it comes to grieving. We go in, and, we, and which would be my thing, and literally clean out the room and give it all away. And then a month or two later, you regret because I should have kept this valuable thing. Or you make a shrine of the room. Either way, not good. But it's part of the process. You, you, you're not thinking properly and you need somebody to help you think. That's why, friends, when we are grieving, don't make big decisions on your own. Do not make big decisions on your own. And leave, give it some time before you make big decisions. Big, like, life-altering, moving house, selling houses, all those sorts of things. Those are big decisions. Make sure that you are getting good input on those things because you are, grief deceives us in many ways. And remember this, this is my final point with a couple of points underneath it, but grief is not well understood by many people. People find it difficult to deal with grieving people for obvious reasons. It's awkward. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. That's why I'm telling us what to say and what to do or trying to help us to say what to do because I know it's difficult. So when the person comes to church, they just drift to the side and nobody wants to say anything to them. Or they get so swamped and overwhelmed that they... And, in the, and, and kind of you, you kind of want to give them space, but then you give them so much space that they feel alone. And it's a very tricky situation. I know. How do we interact with grieving people? Friends, we've got to lose the Christian cliches. Like, everything happens for a reason. It doesn't help. Somebody just lost their child. Somebody just lost their husband or wife. Don't need to hear that. They know that. Don't need to hear that. They just need to be loved. God saw that you could handle this. Not cool. Friends, this is what gets said because people don't know what to say. 
So they're scratching. What can I say? What's the first thing that came into my mind when I heard somebody say this or at a funeral or whatever and uh, comes out? It's not, it's not because they've got a bad heart. It's not because they're trying to do anything wrong. It's just because they want to be there and they don't know what to say. God just needed more angels. Friends, it's my favorite. Human beings do not become angels when they die. And then we sing songs and about angels and people and songs, angels. Human beings do never, ever become angels. Angels are spiritual beings. Humans are earthly beings. Like different, different category of beings. We will be resurrected with human bodies, not angelic bodies. People say these things. Particularly unbelievers say these things to people. God will not give you more than you, hand, you can handle. Friends, right now they feel like they cannot handle anything. Don't come up with Christian cliches or platitudes. Don't come up with scriptures. They just need you to know they love, that you're with them and that you love them. There's so many, I've got a whole bunch written here. At least you're young enough that you can remarry. <laughs> or even worse, can have more children. Again, friends, people say it. They're not trying to be mean. They're just trying to say something and they don't know what to say. So they're scratching. When you're unsure about what to say with a grieving person, say nothing. So what do you say? As I've just said, you don't have to say anything. I love you goes a long way. I'm so sorry for your loss goes a long way. You don't have to explain anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be there. What do you do when people are grieving? That's what do you say. What do you do? Number one, don't avoid people that are grieving because it's difficult and hard. Don't avoid them. Be there. When something hectic is going on, don't think, should I be there? Shouldn't I be there? Be there. Don't think, oh no, you know what? Actually, there's going to be so many people there. I'm not going to go. There won't be so many people there. Go. Be there. What to do? A wordless hug. Just holding them. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's empathy, being there with them in the moment. Goes a long way just to be there. And as time goes on, just to be there, but to give them space. Because they need time to be alone, but they also need 
time not to be isolated. So you need time to be alone and to be together with God and with their family, but they also need time with others. So that's a difficult thing to be. So be there, but give them some space as time goes on. Let people experience your love. Don't just tell them that you love them. Be there. Don't say, if you need anything, please let me know. Take them a meal. Do something for them. Don't ask them. Just do it. They will experience that love in that action. Even if they don't need another meal, they know you love them. Remember the special days, birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, Easter, an SMS, thinking of you on this day. It's active love. Don't be scared to be real. Don't be scared to be real with them. Sitting in a hospital, don't be scared to talk about it. You think, you oh, can't bring that up. Also, don't be scared to laugh or it's kind of often that kind of breaks the ice on things, you know, kind of. But be real. Don't be religious. And lastly, what do you do? Pray for them. And pray for them. And pray more for them. It's probably the most powerful thing you can do. Friends, these are the things we are going to all grieve at some point in our lives. We are all going to lose, lose parents. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to lose close friends somewhere along our lives. And as we get older, the likelihood of that happening is getting more and more a reality. I'm not trying to be a downer on Sunday morning after we've just done the one that won the World Cup. I'm just telling you it's real. Like I said, if we had lost the World Cup, we would have been a whole different message today. <laughs> but let's not, we, we, we grieve with hope. Let's be ministers of hope. Let's be ministers of the gospel of hope. Let's bring those that know how to transition into death and face that with joy, with peace, with life, with faith and help others do that on the journey. Let's help those, our work colleagues, our friends, our family that don't know Jesus, take that journey and trust that somehow they will find Jesus on that journey. Let's be ministers of hope. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, we don't grieve. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have hope. Jesus is risen. Jesus is returning. And he will return with all of our loved ones in Christ. And we'll be reconciled not only with him, but with them. And of eternity with them. That's the hope that we have. But the hope in this world that we have now is that we have a comfort in him and a way in him to find peace and life and faith in the midst of tragedy and loss. And it's probably one of the greatest witnesses to the world around us in today's time. Bless you and have a brilliant day. Amen.